The following podcast contains explicit language. Mr. Chief Justice, please the court. It's really very much a kind of carnivalesque inversion of status. So instead of uh, striving to be a a doctor or a lawyer or to win at a game that is already rigged against you, uh, they and many other subcultures redefine the game. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Groupies have always been a part of the music scene. The Grateful Dead and the Deadheads. Beatles and Beatlemania. I got every Beatle record at home. Every Beatle record. We didn't get to see it. What kind of police? Juggalos like music called horrorcore rap. And the main group they follow is the insane clown posse. Many of them paint their faces to look like scary clowns. Some get tattoos with an image of a man running with a hatchet in his hand. The FBI has classified Juggalos as a hybrid street gang. Question is, who are Juggalos? Life of the Law's Kirsten Jesuit's title has the story. This story starts with horrorcore rap, which is like hip-hop mixed with metal. The lyrics are dark, violent, graphic. Sort of like a script for a horror film set to music. As a well-known horrorcore rapper called Mars once put it, quote, if you take Stephen King or Wes Craven and you throw them on a rap beat, that's who I am, unquote. The most popular group in this genre is the Insane Clown Posse, or ICP. ICP is basically two guys, Joseph Bruce and Joseph Alster, otherwise known as Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope. So you've got horrorcore rap, and you've got ICP. Now for their fans. They call themselves Juggalos. What up, Juggalos? This is your homeboy, J-Webb, coming at you with another exciting edition of the Psychopathic Hotline. Let's get right to it. As we J-Webb, or Jason Weber, is the PR person for ICP's record label, Psychopathic Records. the Marvelous Missing Link Tour. This tour is taking place on both coasts and in the Midwest and in the South, basically every place except your mama's ass. This is pretty classic male juggalo vernacular. There are female juggalos, known as juggalettes, but juggalos tend to be pretty male-centric. Many of them talk like a certain kind of teenager. What is a juggalo? Let me think for a second. Oh, he gets Like the guy who sits in the back of chemistry class and makes mom jokes. The kind of guy most people don't take seriously. And then there's the horrorcore aesthetic. A lot of juggalos paint their faces like scary clowns and have tattoos of what looks like a cartoon character wielding an axe. White guy cornrows are not a rare sight. They also walk around whoop whooping a lot. But until a few years ago, they were basically just a weird subculture. An internet joke. Juggalo is a hard thing to explain. Woo-woo. I think there's just talented jugglers that follow them. Those are the jugglos, and it might be Spanish for juggler. 
Juggalo. Ah, uh, yes, I knew uh, a Myron and Ethel Juggler. Uh, Juggalo, Juggalo. I can't find face paint that's hypoallergenic enough to be a, a full-blown Juggalo. Then in 2011, the FBI's National Gang Intelligence Center classified Juggalos as, quote, a loosely organized hybrid gang. Detective Kenny Shelton is with the Sacramento County Sheriff Gang Suppression Unit. Gang activity is the number one problem in America right now, at least California and definitely Sacramento. I mean, gang members account for less than 1% of our total population in Sacramento, but they're committing roughly 80% of our violent crime in Sacramento. Detective Shelton says most of these gang members belong to gangs that immediately pop into your head. You know, Bloods, Crips, Nortenos. But the Sacramento gang unit also keeps an eye on Juggalos. In Sacramento, we have in the ballpark of about 40 documented Juggalo gang members, which when you compare that to the total number of gang members in Sacramento, where we've got roughly 20,000 documented gang members, it's a small blip. Detective Shelton says Juggalos have committed violent crimes. If you look online, there are reports in other parts of the country of murders carried out with hatchets or meat cleavers by people identified as Juggalos. But in Sacramento, Detective Shelton says the kind of crimes Juggalos generally commit have to do with narcotics and arson. And most Juggalos aren't committing crimes. They just like the music. I would say the overwhelming majority of the individuals who align with the insane clown posse, the Juggalos, whatever the case may be, um, they just listen to the music. Uh, the problem is when they start following the music as a quote-unquote religion. And the reason for that is the content of that music is ultra-violent. When Shelton says ICP and other juggalo music has ultra-violent lyrics, he means things like incredibly graphic descriptions of murder and rape. Guess what? It can sound frightening, but the Juggalos I spoke to say the violence in their songs is actually directed towards people who do terrible things. It's like they're killing people that are that are like, you know, child molesters or people that do bad stuff. So they're like, in a sense, these like vigilante clowns. Racist bigot, you dirty demon. Dig your eyes out while you scream. Drive your head into the concrete. Use your forehead to paint the street. Child abuse and piece of crap. A couple knee drops across your back. Mars is a horrorcore rapper in the Bay Area. His real name is Mario Delgado. He's the rapper who described his music as being like Stephen King or Wes Craven set to rap music. He doesn't paint his face like a clown. Instead, he wears a Hannibal Lecter mask to concerts and interviews. And it's just like, nobody forgets the guy in the Hannibal Lecter mask. You know what I mean? I have a persona about me that people gravitate towards if they're into some weird stuff. Horrorcore rap gets attention for its lyrics, as well as how artists in the genre appear in public. It's just, it's just so funny that all these people are just probably like some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. But when you get them on TV and their faces are painted, or I'm on TV wearing a mask, we just look so crazy to, to normal people. But they don't get that's the whole point. music is popular. 
ICP has two platinum records, and their annual gatherings attract tens of thousands of fans. But you aren't going to see a horrorcore act at the Super Bowl halftime show or hear it on the local radio station. The music exists outside the mainstream, which is part of the reason why fans I spoke to said that they see themselves more like a subculture, sort of like deadheads, except instead of wearing t-shirts with skulls on them and listening to songs with peaceful lyrics that are mostly metaphors for doing drugs or resisting the man, juggalos paint their faces like clowns and listen to music with violent lyrics, which fans and artists in the genre say are meant as ironic reflections on the state of the world. Jeff Farrell is a professor of sociology at Texas Christian University. And a uh, visiting professor of criminology at the University of Kent in the UK. Twenty years ago, Farrell and some of his colleagues helped found the study of cultural criminology. And what we argued then and now is that more and more of what we see is really not straight-ahead criminality or straight-ahead criminal justice, but often intertwined with uh, media dynamics and misinterpretations of symbolism. Farrell says that subcultures like the Jugglos often emerge when people feel like they can't win in mainstream society. So he says they create a world where they can win. It's really a very much a kind of carnivalesque inversion of status. So instead of uh, striving to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or to win at a game that is already rigged against you, uh, they and many other subcultures redefine the game. The code of that subcultural conduct, Farrell says, is the using clown face paint and knowing the lyrics to the newest ICP song. That makes you both a kind of holy goof, a kind of fool in the eyes of society, but that also can easily blend over into being seen as a threat or some sort of uh, outsider that threatens mainstream values or, or Morality. Farrell also says that there is a historical precedent for mainstream institutions, such as the FBI and local law enforcement, categorizing subcultures as gangs. Take, for instance, the Pachucos. Long ago in the 40s, uh, Pachucos, who were second-generation Mexican-American kids who formed their own style through wearing zoot suits and long drapey coats and pleated pants, uh, during World War II were defined as a gang. According to Farrell, many people justified calling Pachucos a gang by pointing to their unique style. Their style was seen as unpatriotic and not supporting the war effort, and they came under attack by the police and by servicemen and women as well. Today, most people agree that groups of people wearing unusual clothing does not a gang make. But what about listening to violent music and making stylistic choices that recall horror movies? I stab people, four or five people every day. I try to see a street to stop that shit, but it ain't no fucking way. In January 2014, the Insane Clown Posse, along with four Juggalos and the ACLU of Michigan, sued the FBI over the gang designation. Their suit demands the FBI and law enforcement agencies across the country end their designation of Juggalos as a hybrid gang. Michael J. Steinberg, one of the ACLU lawyers at a press conference. It is a quintessential civil liberties case challenging government abuse and supporting the right of people to express themselves without fear of police persecution. In a nutshell, the Juggalos involved in the lawsuit say that they're not a gang at all, and that the FBI can't classify a group of people as a gang based on the violent actions of a small number of people who are part of the group. According to the lawsuit filed by the ACLU, classifying Juggalos as a gang turned a lot of people's lives upside down. This is Violent J, or Joseph Bruce, from ICP. The FBI's gang designation has caused real lasting harm to the lives of the Juggalos. 
parents have lost custody of their kids, they've been fired from jobs, they've been denied housing, they've been subjected to illegal searches and sometimes added to a gang database simply for walking down the street wearing an ICP t-shirt. Gabe Gonzalez is a juggalo from Oakland, California. He says that the gang designation has changed the lives of some juggalos for the worse. Gonzalez said a friend of his who identifies as a juggalo got into hard drugs and was sent to prison. But later, after he was released from prison, Gonzalez says he put his life back in order. Um, he got his kids back out of foster care, and his kids are now living with him. And so he goes to his last probation um, meeting, and it was a week after we had gotten labeled the gang. Gonzalez said his friend had a juggalo tattoo. And because he had a hatchet man tattoo, it was, it was, it was against his probation because he was affiliated with the gang now, officially. And so he got sent back to jail, lost his kids, lost his job, and to this day, he's still in there, just over a tattoo, just over a hatchet man tattoo. Gonzalez says the hatchet man tattoo is misinterpreted by people outside the juggalo culture. He says to juggalos, the image represents a more equitable and just society. My ex is my bunchy. We write the planet's wrongs. Me and my ex leave bigots dead on the My ex is my bunchy. He never make me cry. Me and my ex... The guy with an axe running after bigots. People that look at people differently because of their color of their skin or their... And, or, or the way they look. Gonzalez is soft-spoken and somewhat introverted. As a Latino teenager, he says he experienced racial discrimination. So he says he spent a lot of time at home watching pro wrestling. He felt like an outsider. Then he discovered the Insane Clown Posse, and in 2000, he attended his first ICP concert. For the first time, he says, he felt like he belonged. Somewhere. I grew up with a lot of bigotry in my life. I grew up with a lot of people doubting me because I was Mexican, talking down to me because I was Mexican. So when I saw this culture that that had no bigotry in it whatsoever, it was a free culture, everybody was equal, it felt felt right. I I may be Mexican, but I don't consider myself a Mexican. I consider myself a juggalo. We'll never die alone. Juggalos will carry on. Swing our hatchets if we must. Each and every one of us. In 2012, Gonzalez was at the annual Juggalo Music Festival when ICP announced they were planning on suing the FBI for classifying juggalos as a hybrid gang. Right when they said it, I just bursted into tears. And as I looked around, I saw people also tearing. But they were chanting family. A big old a big old chant of family rang out for a good like three minutes straight. The whole place erupted. Everybody's hugging each other and, and it was just like finally there might be there might be some hope. Ferris Haddad is one of ICP's lawyers on the case. He's also a juggalo. He said until they started doing preparation for the lawsuit. He hadn't realized how much the gang classification was affecting juggalos. I had no idea that I'd be sitting there for about three days straight with a line out the door and around the corner of people just filling out statements and telling me their stories and sort of crying in my little trailer office at the gathering. 
In the end, lawyers representing the case said they picked four juggalos to join the suit. And even though these four had spotless criminal records, they said they had been harassed by law enforcement and felt their service in the U.S. Armed Forces was threatened. Haddad says the first thing he did was file a Freedom of Information Act request to find out exactly what evidence the FBI was using to classify Juggalos as a gang. He says he was surprised by what he got back. Uh, well, the, f- the first thing we received, which was the main thing that they gave us, was um, about 20 to 30 internet articles. It was almost as if you gave the assignment to, like, um, a high school student, and they just went online and Googled and printed out a few articles and <laughs> they sent us. Haddad says those articles were local news stories where a suspect in a crime was identified as a juggalo. He also says he received copies of emails the FBI sent to local law enforcement agencies, asking them if they knew of or thought there was a juggalo gang in the area. The responses were usually just a sentence and were all redacted. Brandon Bradley, one of the four jugglers represented in the ACLU case, is from Sacramento. He said publicly that he experienced harassment and has been identified as a gang member for nothing more than wearing juggalo clothing and having hatchet man tattoos. Detective Shelton, the Sacramento police detective, says that he's documented less than a dozen jugglers as gang members and that all have had criminal records. Every person who I have documented as a juggalo gang member has a criminal criminal history. They've been arrested at some point, um, usually pretty recently. Um, not all juggalos have criminal history, but all of the ones that I personally contacted and documented as juggalos have. Some juggalos are committing crimes. That much is clear. But what is not clear is whether they're committing crimes because they're juggalos, or if people who commit crimes also happen to be juggalos. And that's the crux of the issue. Detective Shelton. We tend to be very kind of pick and choosy about uh, what, what crimes we uh, say are gang-related, uh, particularly with the juggalos, because it's such a hot topic right now across the U.S. Detective Shelton says at one time he listened to horrorcore rap as a teenager, and that it wasn't for him. He also says that anyone who chooses to identify as a juggalo is taking a risk by affiliating themselves with a group that make many people in the local community anxious. If you're presenting yourself in a particular way, you're going to be looked at in a particular way, whether it's fair or not fair. People know what juggalos are, a lot of it because of the media attention. So if you're out there painting your face, walking around with a hatchet, wearing all this stuff, you just have to accept that that's the way that you're presenting yourself. Whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the way that society is based. In their lawsuit, the Juggalos and the ACLU say that this kind of profiling and the associated gang identification is exactly the problem they're trying to fight. They say their civil liberties are at stake, and this is about more than the civil rights of Juggalos. Again, Ferris Haddad. So the problem is, if they get away with this, then this sets a precedent. Then who's next? It's, it's such a slippery slope, and, and that's the problem. If I was a serial killer For Life of the Law, I'm Kirsten jesuits Heidel. For now, I'm Che Webb, and I'm out of peace. Peace and that clown love. And if I was a serial killer I would be strange and deranged
This episode of Life of the Law was reported by Kirsten Jesuits Heidel, edited by Annie Aviles, and produced by Shawnee Avaram. Alyssa Bernstein and Jonathan Hirsch handled post-production. Special thanks to Life of the Law's advisory scholar, Naomi Mezzi, professor of law at Georgetown University, for her production support. I'd like to make a special announcement. Life of the Law has joined Panoply, a podcast network from Slate that connects sophisticated listeners and top publishers and thinkers. We're excited to join this premier group of podcasts, and we're thrilled to have the support of our advertisers, Squarespace and Casper. Their sponsorships given without any expectation of editorial input on what stories we tell or how we tell them is much appreciated. We also want to thank our advisory board, Brittany Botorf, Tom Hilping, Ellen Horn, and Asagi Obasagi for their guidance. If you've gotten tripped up by the legal system, tune into Life of the Law on iTunes. You can binge listen to all 70 episodes. And if you like or don't like what you hear, write us a review. You're our audience. You know best. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. If you want to get a heads up when our new episode is out or want to know what's coming up, subscribe to our newsletter. There's a pop-up link on our website, lifeofthelaw.org. We're a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, which means you can make a tax-deductible donation to directly fund production of our stories by visiting our website. You can also find Life of the Law on PRX, Public Radio Exchange. We're funded by the Open Society Foundations, the Law and Society Association, the National Science Foundation, and the Proteus Fund. Next on Life of the Law... There are people in the Black Belt that just don't have transportation that can travel an hour or two away from their jobs, if they have a job. So they're limiting people in so many ways. They're restricting their freedoms in a way that people don't even understand yet. That's next up on Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening.